Our Old Testament reading uh, begins with Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 9, and our New Testament reading this morning, I'm actually going to read uh, all of Revelation 19, uh, just as a little bit of a review since it's been a little while. But I'm going to begin by reading from the, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 63, verses 1 through 9. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. And I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel which He has bestowed on them according to His mercies, according to the multitudes, multitude of His loving kindnesses. For He said, Surely they are My people." children who will not lie. So He became their Savior. In their affliction, He was afflicted, and the angel of His presence saved them. In His love and in His pity, He redeemed them and bore them and carried them all the days of old. And now from Revelation 19, I'll begin reading at verse 1. And then we can follow along when we get to verse 11 through 21 will be our text for this morning. The Apostle John, as he uh, comes to the conclusion here of the sixth uh, vision, says, verse 1 of chapter 19, After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, Alleluia! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne, saying, Amen! Alleluia! Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you His servants and those who fear Him, both great and small, small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of a mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints." Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. 
But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, starting at verse 11, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, with it he should, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are thankful to hear Your Word, for there is so little truth abounding today in this world. But we know that Your Word is true, and we pray that You would open our hearts and our minds to hear that Word, and not only to be hearers, but to be doers of it. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved people of God, once again, we find in the Old Testament a, a picture of what we have here in our text in the book of Revelation. Isaiah 63 gives us this picture of our Lord Jesus Christ coming forth in victory over His enemies and our enemies. And, and the last few chapters of the prophecy of Isaiah, they give us this glimpse of the coming of our great Savior in victory and in the glory that will follow His victory. Now, granted, it is a picture uh, from an Old Testament perspective. But it, but it should be clear enough for us from our perspective today that, that this is truly speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, the One who is our great Captain, the One who is the victor over the forces of darkness that have plagued the church and persecuted the church for so long in this world. I'm going to refer to Isaiah 63 a little later, but for now, remember that the promises of revelation that we are looking at here this morning are not something that's totally new. That they are in the Old Testament as well. But what we have here in the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ is really the clearest and the fullest picture that we have received that show us our great King in all of His glory when He comes to defeat all those who oppose Him. 
Now, last time we looked at the first portion of Psalm or Revelation 19, and uh, we were given this picture of the church triumphant in glory. It was a it was a time of praise, a time of hallelujah, praise the Lord, as the church was celebrating the defeat of all of her enemies by the Lord her God. Uh, the day had come when God had judged that great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornications, and He avenged on her the blood of His servants shed by her. And so the church cries out, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! And, and why does she respond to, with this word of praise? Well, we're told, because the smoke of Babylon the harlot rises forever and ever. It's done. It's finished. Babylon will never rise again. But you, there's something else here. That's only part of the celebration that we saw in the first part of chapter 9. We saw something else there as well. We saw the church in glory. The glory that will follow. And she is enjoying the wedding feast of the Lamb. In glory, the bride of Christ now enjoys the, the fullness of her marriage to her glorious bridegroom, to our Lord Jesus Christ. The church was chosen uh, in Christ before the foundation of the world. And, and now we see here in chapter 19 that our God has brought all of His sovereign plan to fruition, to fulfillment. You remember, we looked at this kind of last time quickly. The, the Old Testament wedding was announced in the Old Testament. That wedding that was promised. In the New Testament Gospels, the betrothal took place as the Son of God assumed our flesh and, and He came down from heaven to deliver us and to rescue us and to save us from our sin and from all of our enemies. That was the betrothal. And that was followed up by the payment of the dowry. The bride price at Calvary. Not a payment that was made to Satan, as some have uh, falsely thought, but uh, to the Father to satisfy His justice. And from the time of Christ's ascension to His second coming, we have the interval of preparation. This is but for a little while, even though for us it's 2,000 years, but it's just for a little while, during which the bride prepares herself for the coming of her beloved. And the bridegroom prepares a place for His bride. And what follows that? And then comes the wedding feast of the Lamb. When we will be with our Savior, with our husband, with our deliverer, the one who loved us and gave himself for us, and be with him forever. That's the wedding. And we will be with him and glorify him and enjoy him forever and ever and ever. It will be a time of eternal bliss that will be far beyond anything that you and I can even possibly imagine. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But God has given us a glimpse, a taste of that which is to come. That's what we had in the first part of chapter 19. But now we come to the last part of chapter 19 where we see the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in all of His glory to destroy all of His and our enemies and to deliver His people, His church, into the glorious kingdom that will have no end. And so my theme this morning will be that Christ the victor comes in all of His glory and power and majesty. He comes as the Word of God in verses 11-16, through 16, and He comes as the Judge of all in verses 17-21. through 21. <clears throat> Now what follows in this last part of, of chapter 19 is the reason why the church gets to enjoy what we really saw in the first part of chapter 19. The, the judgment of Christ, 
the wrath of God, the victory of Him who is called faithful and true is the reason for all the bliss, all the glory that the church enjoys in the wedding feast of the Lamb. And and so once again, we see the visions are not necessarily chronological in their order here. The church triumphant, the, the wedding feast of the Lamb would chronologically kind of follow the victory of Christ over all who had received the mark of the beast, over the beast itself, over the false prophet. But in order to reassure us to wait for the end that is to come, the order is switched. And if you remember, we had this same order back in chapter 14 in the first five verses. We were told about the church triumphant. And then in the last 15 verses of chapter 14, we have this picture of the final battle and the last judgment of Christ as He thrusts in His harvest uh, sickle. He harvests the world because the grapes of wrath, God's wrath, are, are finally ripe. And and that's what we have here. The vision is given here of a picture of the church in glory. And then what follows is a picture of how that came to be. And it's all because of our Lord and Savior. The One who comes victoriously as the Word of God. So so let's begin with the first two verses of our text. Verses 11 and 12. and, And we get this glimpse of the Lord Jesus as He's coming in all of His power and glory to bring an end to wickedness, to bring an end to the evil of this world and all the powers of darkness. Verses 11 and 12. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Now this is just what we saw back in chapter 6, verse 2, where we see our Savior on a white horse. And the whiteness of the horse represents the purity of our Savior's cause. The holiness of His character. It symbolizes the certainty of His success as well. The name of the writer, we're told, is he's called Faithful and True. And that emphasizes the very same point about our Lord Jesus Christ, that He is righteous and just, and that He will bring all things to a glorious and righteous consummation. He is faithful and true. In fact, you could say that truer words, more perfect words, have never been spoken of anyone. And and these words truly apply more to this one than to anyone else who's ever walked this earth. That our conquering King, our Lord Jesus Christ, is faithful and He is true in all that He promises us and all that He has done for us and all that He will do for us as His people. This, This sixth vision gives us a picture of our Lord Jesus at His second coming as He comes in judgment, as He comes to to make war and to judge. He's coming to judge this world in righteousness. And and you'll notice it says His eyes are like flames of fire. That's that's actually the same picture that we had of Christ back in chapter 1 when John met the Son of Man in the very first vision. Eyes like a flame of fire speak of the of the righteous and purifying judgment that He is bringing upon this world as the divine judge. The crowns that are upon His head speak are they're really diadems that signify His victory over all that oppose Him. He's never lost a battle. He's won every battle. And so these are victor's wreaths that speak of His total victory over all the forces of evil. He is the conquering warrior and all fall before Him. He has this name that no one knows except Himself. 
Now, that's a bit of a mystery, right? And, and yet, it should remind us of the new name that is also given to believers that it said back in chapter 2, verse 17, that we were given a new name. The, the risen Christ who walks among the lampstands says to His church, and I will give Him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except Him who receives it. So this name represents the new status between Christ and His people that they have with one another. The bridegroom is coming for His bride. And now the fullness of the marriage is being entered into. And the bridegroom and the bride enjoy this new and fulfilled relationship together where they are revealed to one another in a new and joyous way that really marks the beginning of eternal bliss in glory. It's something we can hardly imagine and yet that's what God has promised us in Christ. Let's move on to the verses 13 and 14 where we learn more about our victorious warrior and those who follow him. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now the robe of Christ is dipped in blood. And this is not the blood of His suffering. This is not the blood of the cross. This, this is symbolically the blood of His enemies. The blood of judgment. Remember, it's what I read back in Isaiah 63. You want to listen again to verses 3 and 4. It says, this is Christ speaking, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the people no one was with Me. Christ did this work all by Himself. He did this for us. We didn't help Him in any way. And then he says, For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come. And so the day of judgment and the day of redemption has come and the victory of Christ is complete. It's a full victory. It is over all of His and our enemies. And not one of His enemies shall escape His wrath and His vengeance. Here the name of our victorious warrior is also given as the Word of God. And, and this should remind us, I think, of the, you know, the opening chapter of John's Gospel. Uh, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 of that same chapter says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Only Christ Himself knows the full meaning of this name. But He's called the Word of God because in Him, in our Lord Jesus Christ, God has fully expressed and fully revealed Himself to us. It is as John says in verse 18 of, of chapter 1 of his Gospel, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. He has revealed Him. That's what the Son has come. He is the Word of God. The One who reveals to us God Himself. Which I guess is why Jesus said to Philip, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Now in verse 14, back in our text in, in Revelation 19, we have the armies of heaven mentioned. These are the armies that come with Jesus in His judgment. 
And the question arises here whether these are the hosts of the angels of heaven or is it the saints in glory? Uh, you might remember Jesus speaks in several places in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark uh, of coming with the angels of heaven when He comes. Uh, one from uh, Matthew 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. So it, it talks about the holy angels, right? And because they are holy angels, they're clothed in white, they're white and pure, fine linen, um, and they are sent out by Christ and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's what it says in Matthew 13, verses 41 and 42. But the Word of God also speaks of the saints in glory returning with the Lord at His second coming and judgment. We saw this back in uh, chapter 17, verse 14. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. That is, it's the elect. Now, you'll notice uh, here in uh, chapter 17 uh, that Christ is called the Lord of lords and the King of kings, just as He is in verse 16 of our text, though the order is reversed. So we can add to this First uh, uh, Thessalonians 4.14 For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. And so really the, the best way to look at this is that both the angels and the saints in glory will return with Jesus at His second coming to judge the world. But there's more to be considered uh, in the coming of Jesus as the Word of God. Verses 15 and 16. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So out of the mouth of the Lord comes a sharp sword. And we should not think of this as being the sword of the Gospel. That this is really the sword of His vengeance. It's a symbol of destruction and wrath. And that's made clear from the context here. Notice it says He strikes the nations. And, and the word that's used there for, for strike means to strike down, to beat down, to trample. His rule is with a rod of iron. has that very same idea. And we've heard this all the way back in chapter 2 when Jesus spoke of receiving this very thing from His Father. That is, He has received His power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed in pieces like a potter's vessel. Which is has allusions back to uh, Psalm uh, 2. This is also the language that's used of a male child. It was born through the glorious woman in chapter 12. She bore a male child who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron. So, so here we have a picture of the justice of God. Jesus is not coming with an offer of mercy here. Only the wrath of God in all of its fury, as our text also mentions, He Himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. The Apostle Paul speaks of this when he's confronting the, you remember the philosophers in Athens in Acts chapter 17. He says in verses 30 and 31 of that chapter, Truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? 
because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. And He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming. And when He does, He will judge this wicked world and those in it according to His truth, according to His righteousness, and He will carry out the just sentence of God Almighty. Now, people of God, why is this revealed to us? Why do we read of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and all of His power and glory to judge the living and the dead? Because you and I, we need to be ready for that day as much, if not more, than the world around us that knows not God. And we need to make sure we are ready for that day. There's a great deal of difference between assurance and presumption. You know, we often presume that because we know all of this, right? We, we know that Jesus died on the cross to save sinners. We know that He rose from the dead on the third day. We just celebrated that. We know that He's coming again, right? And we know that when He does, He will judge the world. And yet, how often do we fool ourselves into thinking that, well, everything's alright with me because I know all this stuff. But you see, it is far different to know about Jesus than it is to truly know Him. To know His love and His mercy. To know His meekness and gentleness. To know His tender care in your life. To see His hand as the one that is working all things together for your good. To see His Word. To see His Spirit changing you from what you were to more and more conformity to Him. And so the real question here, in other words, is do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? Do you know Him? Do you commune with Him as you you read His Word? As you spend time in prayer? As you worship Him with God's people every week? Because you see, if you don't really know Him in this way, if He's really not taken out your, your cold, cold heart of stone, and He's not given you a living heart that's alive and, and loving toward Him, then the picture that we have here of Jesus that we just went over in this text, that's the very picture of Christ that you will see on that day. Jesus coming with His sword to judge you and to rule over you with a rod of iron. And and there will be no mercy toward you in those eyes of flame. Only justice, only righteousness, only vengeance. Because really you've mocked Him with your pretended worship, with your hypocritical love. But you will not fool Jesus. Because He's the Word of God. Because He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what will He say to you on that day? Depart from Me. I never knew you. But beloved, if your heart is right with Him, if your heart is right toward Christ, if you seek Him with all that you are, if you love Him with all that you are, if you depend upon Him and you long for Him, and you're longing for His coming so that you might be with Him forever and ever, then I have good news for you. Because while this is a true picture of Christ in our text, it's not a picture of His coming for you. It's a picture of His coming to judge the world, to judge the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, the harlot, and those who have the mark of the beast. But His coming for you, if you belong to Him, we already covered that in the first part of chapter 19. And He's coming for you like a bridegroom coming for His bride. 
And He loves you with all that He is. And He's proven His love for you by what He's done to save you and what He's preparing for you even now. So the question is, are you that bride? Have you given Him your heart? Are you longing for your bridegroom to come and to take you to Himself that where He is, there you may be also? The last section of our text here. This is, this is the very last part of the sixth vision. It begins at verse 17, where we see not only that the Lord Jesus Christ comes as the Word of God to, to bring truth and righteousness to this world, to, but we also see here that He comes as the judge of all. Here we have the final battle of Armageddon. The, the judgment of the beast, the judgment of the false prophet, that comes to the forefront here. Uh, but it begins with an announcement as... Many of these sections do, right? There's an announcement uh, given to us. Verses 17 and 18. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. You'll notice how certain is the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ over the beast and the false prophet, over all those who worship them. It is so certain that the angel who's standing in the sun summons all the birds of the air to come and to be gathered so that they might feast upon the flesh of the kings and captains and mighty men and horses and riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. It's going to happen. Get ready, birds. Here comes the battle. Now, obviously, this is a description of those who in, in this world who serve the beast, who serve the false prophet. Uh, they have the mark of the beast. It's, it's the final battle of Armageddon that we looked at previously at the end of uh, other previous visions. Uh, we saw this in chapter 11 and chapter 14 and chapter 16. It, it's a slaughter of unimaginable size. It's the final battle that, ends, uh, that brings an end to it all. And, and you might remember that this battle has uh, two parts to it, though. The, the first part of the battle is the final attack of the anti-Christian power, the, the beast out of the sea. It's attack upon the church. It's going to destroy the church completely. And then the second part of it is Christ's victory over this vast army at His coming in judgment. And, and what follows, we're given here a quick summary of this great battle. And the truth of the matter is it's not really so much a summary of a battle as if the battle was it's really as if the battle was almost over before it begins. There's no give and take here on each side. There's no back and forth to this battle. The battle ends with the coming of Christ and his quick and final judgment upon the beast and upon the false prophet and the army of the beast. Verses 19-21, And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Those two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. 
And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So the Apostle John sees here the whole world of unbelief gathered together for this final assault upon the church of Jesus Christ. But Christ comes. And then with the sword of His mouth, it's over. It's over just like the the harvest of the sickle in chapter 14. One thrust and it's done. It's over. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, This final defeat of the enemy comes with the appearing of our Lord Jesus, whom He will consume with the breath of His mouth and destroy with the brightness of His coming. And and notice that judgment that's handed out here. The the beast and the false prophet, we're told, are cast alive into the lake of fire. Now, the lake of fire is the final destiny of the wicked. It's the fire, a place of fire and brimstone, the, the final blackness of darkness forever, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, the place where the, the worm never dies and the fire is not quenched. And all the members of the, the great army of the beast and false prophet are killed before they enter into the final judgment. So these are obviously people who have to die before they come to the throne to be judged. Uh, and they will serve as a feast for the birds. And so we should understand here that the wording, the way this is contrasted, the, the wording for the beast and the false prophet being cast alive into the lake of fire uh, makes it clear here that these are not particular persons, that they're really they're, they're visual representations of anti-Christian governments that have always been against the church and anti-Christian philosophies of this world that have always tried to seduce the church. They're not killed, but they are removed. And they're removed forever. And so the point here is that every influence of the dragon, every influence of Satan in this earth, whether it's the persecution or whether it's deception, it all goes with him to hell, never to be seen again anywhere outside of hell. The rider on the white horse, the Word of God incarnate, the Savior of His people, our Lord Jesus Christ, He he wins a complete and glorious victory, triumphs totally over the enemy. And uh, this finds its its, uh, type, an Old Testament type, in the destruction of Pharaoh and his army at the Red Sea. So I want to read the first part of Exodus 15 because I think you'll see those many parallels of this total overthrow of the wicked. The whole army came out against Israel. Israel had no hope. And yet God destroyed the whole army of Egypt and Israel did what? They watched. And then they sang. Sang unto the Lord. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke saying, I will sing to the Lord for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and His army He has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. And we see that picture in Revelation, don't we? 
Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of Your excellence, You have overthrown those who rose against You. You sent forth Your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of Your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be dissatisfied upon them. I will draw my sword and my hand shall destroy them. Does that sound like what we've been reading in Revelation? You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like You, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like You, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out Your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You in Your mercy have led forth Your people whom You have redeemed. You have guided them in Your strength to Your holy habitation. The God of vengeance and redemption. And so it will be at the end of the age. Now, people of God, we've seen the end of all those who have the mark of the beast in chapters 15 and 16. We saw their end. We've also witnessed the fall of the harlot in chapter 17 and 18. And today we have heard of this description of the victory of Christ over the beast and the false prophet. Remember, going, kind of going backwards from the way they were introduced. But all of them have gone down in defeat, never to rise again. But there remains one more foe here, one more enemy. And we will find his demise and his destruction in the next and last vision of the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ in, in chapter 20. His ruin, the ruin of the dragon, brings an end to all the opposition that has arisen down through the ages to this final day that we see here. And when that is complete, we will see the unbelievable, the the astounding vision as this book comes to an end of what it will be like in glory for all those who are in Christ. For all those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, that's what we're going to find in the final two chapters. So, So remember... The, the end is coming for all those who oppose our Savior, and their, their end is so certain that it's, it's written here as if it already happened. Because you see, our God will not fail to bring all of His promises to pass as well as all of His judgments to pass. And so it will be, beloved, with all the promises of God that He has made to you in Christ. The end of sin and wickedness is coming. The end of all anti-Christian governments, all anti-Christian philosophies, all anti-Christian deception is coming. And what a glorious day that will be. It's the day that we've dreamed about. The day that we've longed for. The day that we cannot wait for to become a reality. We're longing for that day, as it says, after the seventh trumpet sounded in chapter 11. Remember, that's bringing us to the final end as well. And what's the announcement? The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever. And we with Him. And isn't that what you're longing for? The new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells? And why has all this happened? Why will all of this come to pass as we find it here in the Word of God? Well, there's one reason. It's because of the great work and the gracious person of our beloved Savior. 
It's only come to pass because of the Word of God incarnate, because of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the One who gave Himself for our sins so that He might deliver us from this present evil age. That's why this is going to happen. So what would be your response? How do you respond to such a great and glorious news as this? Good news beyond belief. And there can only be one response, really. It has to be a response of praise. As we saw it earlier in this same chapter, in chapter 19 of Revelation. And the 24 elders, the church of all ages, and the four living creatures, all creation, fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen! Alleluia! And John says in verse 6, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, the church of all ages and the hosts of heaven joining together. I heard a voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And that's what you and I should be saying even now. Right now. Amen. Hallelujah. So let's do that. Let's say amen, hallelujah. Not just amen to end the sermon. Amen, hallelujah. And all God's people said, amen, hallelujah. Let's pray.